Hi, it's Michael Senoff with Michael Senoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. The title of this interview is called Your Quick Reference Guide to Stress-Free Parenting. Exhausted, overwhelmed, stressed out? Those words don't need to describe parenting, but oftentimes they do. Even the best parents give in when their children are whining, begging, throwing tantrums, or just plain making them feel guilty for saying no. But now you have help for whatever situation that comes up. And in this audio interview, you'll hear all about it from Dr. David Swanson, author of Help, My Kid is Driving Me Crazy. According to David, the trick is knowing exactly what your buttons are while having a quick reference plan for what to do when those buttons get pushed, and you'll hear how to do that in this short audio interview. You'll also learn how to make sense of your child's behavior. These natural reactions don't mean your child is bad or headed in the wrong direction. You'll learn how to recognize the usual tactics children use to get what they want and a few quick tips that will probably stop them in their tracks. You'll learn two different ways we interact with our children and real-life examples of how to make the most of each. You'll learn the three reasons parents yell at their children. Know your own triggers and you'll be able to devise a better plan. You'll learn the single biggest trick divorced parents usually fall prey to and communication strategies that will make sure that doesn't happen to you. The goal of good parenting is to to have a healthy, happy family. But that doesn't mean you have to be a pushover in the process. Each situation and child may be different, but with this quick reference guide, you'll be prepared for whatever comes up. Now let's get going. Hi, this is Chris Costello, and I've teamed up with Michael Senoff to bring you the world's best health-related interviews. So if you know anyone struggling with their weight, with cancer, diabetes, ADHD, autism, heart disease, or other health issues, send them over to Michael Senoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. We're talking with Dr. David Swanson, author of Help, My Kid is Driving Me Crazy. Dr. Swanson, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Can you kind of share with our listeners some of those ways the kids can just manipulate parents and make life difficult? <laughs> I will tell you the top reasons they do, but I think before I even get into that, really what we want to talk about is that this is very normal behavior. When I wrote this book, I got two reactions. I got the group of parents who said, I've got to get that book. That sounds great. And then I got the other group of parents who said, what do you mean they manipulate? Almost as if it meant that kids were lacking in moral character. In no way does it mean when they manipulate they lack in moral character. Kids operate from what I call an I-win mentality. I want it now. And they really are lacking in any sort of power in order to get what they want. And the only way they can achieve that, outside of doing it appropriately, would be to push our emotional buttons as parents. It's a very normal, instinctual, intuitive form of behavior, but it does drive us crazy as parents, and we need to know how to deal with it. The most common I think most parents have dealt with is the idea of what I call steamrolling. And this is when your kid incessantly badgers you to get what it is that they want. They'll say things like, can I, can I, can I? Come on, please, can I have it now? Come on, why not? Please, let me have it. That kind of thing, and it drives us crazy. So this is something, though, that is very common, and it has to do with a child just really struggling with the answer no. And what parents can do with this one is they can sit down when times are calm. You don't want to deal with this one unless you're using a countermeasure for this in terms of dressing it with your child until the moment is calm. So one night before bed, things are calm. He's not emotionally invested in getting what he wants. And you'll sit down with your child and you'll say, you know, sometimes I give you the answer no. And I know it's really hard for you to accept that answer. And so what I notice she'll do sometimes is she'll keep asking me over and over again after I've told you no. And it's not okay. 
And what I'm going to call this behavior is steamrolling. Okay, so for now on, whenever I say you're steamrolling me, it has to do with you badgering me for what it is that you want after I've given you an answer. Once the child understands that, then you're going to explain to the child what it is that you're going to do to intervene. So, for example, you're going to say something like, you know, for now on, when you do that, and by the way, you've got to realize I love you, I don't want to fight with you, and when you do that, it frustrates me, and we end up getting in a big argument, it's horrible. So, for now on, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say to you, you know what, you're steamrolling me, and I'm going to give it another 10 seconds or so, but if you continue, I'm going to look at my watch. And for every minute that you continue, you'll be going to bed three minutes earlier. Or if your child has a privilege, like being able to, you know, watch television or play video games or things like that, for every minute I look at my watch and you continue, I'm going to take three minutes away of that time at the beginning. So that's the way they can intervene and really become effective in reducing steamrolling. This is very effective. And you've got to realize that the reason these 17 manipulation strategies work is because they push effectively our emotional buttons as parents. And they really do say more about the parents than they do about the child. So, for example, the parent who is typically overwhelmed and just exhausted will end up giving in after they've been badgered for a while. And this is why those kids do use steamrolling. Other parents have a very difficult time tolerating upset, you know, on the part of their child. So in these cases, they instinctually use things like emotional blackmail, which is I'll stay sad until you give me what I want, I'll stay anxious until you give me what I want or upset until you do it, or they use playing the victim, I'm the only one who never gets to, because that inspires guilt on the part of the parent for the child's sadness, and that puts pressure on the parent to give in to the child. So it really does say a lot more about the parent than it does about the child in terms of what manipulation strategies they use. So it sounds like the kids are pretty sophisticated in knowing <laughs> what's going to work. Well, you know, I think as people, all of us, we're just very good about intuitively knowing during a conversation or during an interaction about how others are feeling and how to act in such a way to get what it is that you want. And this is what kids are doing. It's very normal behavior, but again, at least parents just want to pull their hair out. And so the way to stop it is to really look at it, start talking about it, and using these techniques that you describe in Help My Kid Is Driving Me Crazy. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. so what are some of the other things that kids do? Well, another thing that a lot of parents will get is this idea of divide and conquer. This is, you know, if I know mom's going to say no, but I know dad will probably say yes, then I'm going to go to dad and I'm going to ask him because he's probably going to give me the answer that I wanted. If dad says yes, but mom says no, then I'll go to mom and I'll say something like, but dad said I could. And that really has to do with getting in between mom and dad and going to the one who will give me the answer that I want. This creates a lot of stress in the marriage. And I should say the parents who fall particularly at prey for this one are parents of divorce. And that has to do a lot with that. They just don't communicate as much as parents who are married. Is it better to just side with the other parent? It really has to do with this idea of communication. If both parents are basically off on their own, parenting freely, making decisions without the other, they're going to fall hard when it comes to divide and conquer. Most parents, I think, do find that they share, for the most part, the same parenting philosophies. The only missing component here is talking about it, you know, talking about what things we can give answers to independently without getting the other's approval and which things we probably should tell our child, you know what, I need to talk to your mom or I need to talk to your dad about that and come together and have a strong communication about that. So if you can work that out, divide and conquer becomes ineffective. Definitely kids will, if one doesn't work, they'll go to another one. If it crosses the line, you know, for example, in my home, my wife and I, we both talk about some of the challenges that our kids will present to us, whether it's going out and playing before homework. And my kids are fairly young, so how far down the street can they go by themselves? Things like that are things that we talk about. And so we know ahead of time when we're asked certain questions, sometimes 
we're asked questions that we've never talked about. You know, can I do this? And quite frankly, we haven't talked about it. So what I'll say is, you know, I don't know. I have to talk to your mom about that, and she'll do the same. We don't get a lot of divide and conquer in our house because the kids know that we communicate pretty readily, and we do sit down and make these decisions together. I'm Chris Costello, reporting for Michael Senoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. So, Dr. Swanson, one of the other things you talk about is that parents have three major misconceptions. What are those misconceptions? <laughs> there are things that we wish would be true, but they don't always pan out to be true. One of the big ones is that kids would have empathy when they're emotionally invested in getting what it is that they want. And there really are two times that you deal with your child. One is when he or she is emotionally invested in getting what they want, and the other one is when they don't have an emotional investment in terms of getting what they want. If you're trying to talk reason with your child when they're emotionally invested in getting what they want, you're going to be frustrated. At that moment, kids operate from what I call an I-win mentality. I want it now. And most of that communication will be geared in such a way that, you know, the sole purpose of it is to convince you to give me what I want, that kind of a thing. So it's very important that parents realize that because waiting till a time where a child is available to talk will get them much farther and they'll feel much better about the conversation than if they try to intervene in the moment where there's, say, a conflict or the child really wants something. It's just not going to be effective. Another misconception is this idea that punishment and reward always work. It doesn't. The fact of the matter, it doesn't. There is a third variable going on here. The third variable is our emotional buttons as parents. Think about this. If I'm a child who doesn't get what I want, I'm probably going to be upset about that. This is just one example, by the way, but I'm probably upset about that. Let's say it's I want a cookie before dinner, and you say no. Well, I'm going to keep asking for that cookie. At some point, after you say no a couple of times, I'm going to realize I'm not going to get it. But now I'm angry I didn't get my cookie. I feel cheated, and I'm going to keep asking for it just to even the score. I'd like to see you get upset, too, because if I have to be upset, then you can be upset, too. So this idea that reward and punishment work, it doesn't. I mean, the fact of the matter is if we are emotionally responsive to our kids, that adds a third variable, and it's a very powerful one for kids to be able to push our buttons and get a reaction. What do you do with that kid that wants a cookie? <laughs> You know, you have to decide for yourself whether or not it's okay. You know, if it's not, you set the limit and then you deal with it. And then depending upon what your child would do as a response, whether it's punishment, which is making you pay a price for cheating them, or steamrolling, which is to continue to ask you for the cookie, or playing the victim, you know, I feel so horrible, I never get a cookie before dinner, that kind of a thing. In the book, depending on what strategy it is, I've really designed this book to be a quick reference guide so you can turn to the page up front find out what strategy they're using, and turn right to that chapter to figure out how to respond in the moment to this particular manipulation strategy. I found in my practice that parents yell at their kids for three reasons. One is because we feel exhausted. We just can't take anymore. We're overwhelmed with the day. And so any more is going to set us off when we start to yell. A second one is this idea that our feelings are hurt. So, for example, my kids know I love to cuddle with them. And so what I might get from them if they want to punish me or they're upset at me for something, not giving them what they wanted, you know, my oldest might say something to me like, okay, Daddy, then I'm not going to cuddle with you. You know, <laughs> it does kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. But, you know, the fact of the matter is i got to see it for what it is. He's punishing me because he didn't get what he wanted. If I let it hurt my feelings, then I'm most likely going to yell in response. And the last reason is that parents feel ineffective. And that was the whole mission of this book. I wanted parents to feel effective in terms of dealing with these behaviors on the part of their children because if they were, they would yell less, and they would feel much happier as a family. They'd be a lot more close to the family. So this book does aim to really help parents become more effective with their children. The beginning part of this book, I mean, it's very helpful in the moment in terms of being able to pick it up, you know, get the answers you need within three minutes. I mean, you really can do that with this book. But you're responding to your child. There are countermeasures that I'm giving you. And so in the back of the book, what I've done is I've designed a new model 
that based on the top two reasons your child manipulates, and I'll give you all five of them, this model will help you to determine what your child's temperament is. And then as a result of that, you can now tailor-make, and the book will help you to do this, tailor-make an environment at home that will be most conducive for your child's success, that will really help reduce manipulation in the future. And this is very helpful because this is much more proactive, and as time goes on, you start to feel that the house becomes much more calmer overall. As parents, we do have three innate desires. One is to keep our kids safe. The second is to look out for their better interest in the future. And lastly, we'd like to see them happy. And I don't think there's going to be very many parents who ever encounter a problem with their child that doesn't involve the child's happiness being placed into conflict with either their safety or better interest. And it's very difficult for us who haven't gone to bed at night feeling bad about something that transpired with your child over the day. So what I teach parents to do is to prioritize. Responsible parents, ones who walk away feeling fulfilled or in their role as a parent feel really good about what they've done, always play safety first, better interest second, and unfortunately, the child's happiness last. Kids will feel very happy. They'll seek it out on their own. You don't need to worry about that. But always put safety first, better interest second, and unfortunately, the child's happiness last, and you'll be great as a parent. What do you think is the most important thing that parents can do to raise kids well? well I think, you know, knowing ourselves does a world of good in terms of reducing this tension with our kids. I mean, all of us generally overall want to feel close to our kids. We want to have this happy relationship. Every bit of research out there that says, how do you move close to your kids? How do you have that happy relationship? Starts at the point of discipline. The reason we're not consistent, the reason we're ineffective with our kids is because emotionally our buttons get pushed and we react to that. You need to know yourself. You need to know where your vulnerabilities are and you need to deal with them. The more we know ourselves and the more we do to really kind of put ourselves in a good place, the more we do to raise happy, healthy children. If you want to find out more about what Dr. Swanson is doing, you can go to drdavidswanson.com or thehealthychild.info. And Dr. Swanson, we thank you so much for spending time with us. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thank you so much. That's the end of our interview, and I hope you've enjoyed it. For more great health-related interviews, go to Michael Senoff's hardtofindseminars.com. That's the end of our interview with Dr. David Swanson. I hope you found it helpful. And for more wonderful interviews on parenting, nutrition, health, and wellness, go to Michael Senoff's hardtofindseminars.com.